Let's, uh, let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity that we have together to gather as a body of believers, Father. Lord, I pray that you would uh, guide our, our minds, guide our thoughts, um, guide my words, Lord, as, as we study your word. Father, you are great and mighty and worthy of our attention, Father. I pray that you would free us from distractions, Lord, this morning and hear from you. God, I love the words to the song you just allowed us to sing always, Father. God, center our minds around your son Jesus this morning. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. So we're in our series, continuing this morning, called Pillars, and the idea, if you're new with us this morning, the idea is that we're studying eight different pillars or foundational concepts to the Christian faith, and uh, the ones we've done so far, grace, hope, peace, mercy, love, are pretty obvious if you're doing a study on the the foundations of, of the faith, those are pretty obvious, and and the thought is that without grace, without faith, without peace, without love, without hope, without mercy, without all those things, um, it kind of crumbles, right? They're, they're central to what, what we're doing here. But more than that, they're central to how we understand how we relate to God. And the one we're going to talk about this morning is a little bit different. It, if before the series started, we would have asked you guys to, to write down eight pillars of the faith, most likely this one would not have come up. However, I think it is one of the most important ones for us to hold and to fully know and to... One of the things I said at the beginning was, was what we want to do with these pillars is, is push these concepts to the front of our brain so that when craziness of the world presses in, we have these readily available. I use this analogy. Is a lot of times you'll look for a file on your computer and you do the little, the little search. You pull up the start menu and, and you click in the search menu and, and your computer searches for this particular file. Um, when you have one that you access a lot, you put it on your desktop so that you can always click on that file and there it is, right? And so that's the point of, of this series is to put these files on our desktop so they're readily available to us. This one is not always readily available to us and is really, really important. Um, and simply, it's, it's, it's priesthood. Um, raise your hand if, if one of the top eight pillars for you would have, would have been priesthood. You would have written that down. Thank you. He's been to Bible college. Thank you. Well done. Um, but I, I want to just kind of reiterate this. And here's, this is kind of a silly thing, but I want to get a CD, many CDs or like thumb drives of this message and uh, hand it to people from time to time. Um, whenever I go to a barbecue, uh, a family reunion, a gathering where there's like a corporate prayer, who do you think they say should, should pray that prayer? Hey, get the pastor to do it. But the point of, of priesthood means that I am 
I am no more qualified to make a prayer to God than anyone for all time who has confessed Christ as their Savior. Like, so next time we're at your, if you and I are to barbecue and, and they ask me to pray, understand this is, this is what's in my mind. And sometime, this is what I really want to do. When they ask me to pray, say, okay, and then, like, preach this sermon. <laughs> you ask me to pray, okay, sit down, get ready, 30 minutes, let's do it. Because there is, every one of us, if we've confessed Christ, has the same access to the Father. And that's sort of the, the heart of what we'll get to. We'll, we'll get a little deeper than that. And as we've walked through this study of pillars, the first thing I want to do is define what it is. And then the second thing is sort of unpack some ramifications of, since this is true, what does that mean for us? So, 1 Peter 2.9 says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He's talking to the Christian to the believer in Jesus. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his, into his marvelous light. There's a lot in this verse to unpack, but I just want to center in on this one word, priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. What does that mean? It's a Greek word that means the office or duties of a priest. Hey, wait a second. You just defined the word with the word. The office and duties of a priest is what priesthood means. So if we are all priesthood, if we are a royal priesthood, we all possess the ability, the authority of the duties of a priest. So what does it mean to be a priest? To be part of the priesthood means that you have complete and total access to God. There's more to it, and we'll get to it in a, in a bit when we, we're going to study Hebrews 9 and 10. But Ultimately, at the, at the end of it all, this is what it means. You have complete and total access to God. John Piper says this about this verse. This means, priesthood, that you have access to God through Jesus Christ. Before, in order to have access to God, you needed a priest making sacrifices to you. Because of Christ, he made the sacrifice once and for all. The song we sang first tonight, this morning. He made the sacrifice once and for all so that we all could have access at all times. You do not take your sacrifice to the priest and watch while he takes it to the altar or tent of meeting with God. If, if this were the Old Testament, if this was the old priesthood, you would all gather here together, bring your sacrifices, you would give them to me, and I would take them to the altar and offer them up to God. Because of what Christ did, you don't need me to approach God anymore. And the ramifications for that are huge. We'll talk about that as we go on. More from, from Piper here. You all are called by God. Let me listen, read that again. You all are called by God to approach the altar and the throne and to make your own personal sacrifice and personal life and corporate worship. Flip over to, to Hebrews chapter 9. If, if, you, uh, if you need a Bible, there's some in the back. The verses are not going to be on the screen. Uh, so if you need a Bible, just raise your hand up and somebody will, will bring you one. And we'd like to offer you a gift of, of that Bible. Feel free to, to take it home with you. Um, so starting in Hebrews chapter 9. Let's get to work. This is really good, really important stuff for us. Um, before we do, I would like to, like to pray again. 
Now, even the first covenant, I'm sorry, let's, let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, and I pray now that you would center our minds around what it is you have to say to us this morning. God, I, uh, I ask you now that you would prepare my heart to teach your word, Father. God, I pray that you would ordain what is going to be said this morning and what is even going to be thought this morning, Father. Center our minds around this important idea, this important concept of what it means that we all hold the priesthood. In Christ's name, amen. So we've got a lot of verses to get to this morning, and we're just going to walk through them, and I'll comment on them as, as we go. Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Now even the first covenant, that is the Old Testament, and all the practices that were there, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. I want you to get this picture. He's going to talk about the tent of meeting where God's presence dwelled. Verse 2, for a tent was prepared in the first section in which there was a lampstand, a table, and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a section called the most holy place. You may have heard when Christ died, the, the temple's veil was torn in two. This is that curtain. Okay, It separated the holy place from the most holy place. It goes on, and we'll figure out what happens in these two places. Verse 4, having the golden altar, this is what's happening in the, the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn, so inside of this basically golden box is the, are these things. A golden urn holding the manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the tablets of the covenant, that is the Ten Commandments. Verse 5, above it, Above this box containing those three things were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of the things, of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. Verse 6. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, that is, the holy place, performing their ritual duties, taking sacrifices in there. Verse 7. But in the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintended sins of the people. This is very important here. Only one guy, one day a year, got to go into the most holy place. You know, the place that was broken off by this temple veil that was torn in two. Only one guy, once a year, got to go in there, and he only got to go in there with a sacrificial, a sacrificial some blood of a perfect animal to sacrifice there for his own sins and for the, for the sins of the people. That was called the Day of Atonement. You guys might remember that. You might have heard that before. The Day of Atonement, the high priest only got to go in there. All right? In this temple, the veil is going to get torn in two when Christ finally sacrifices. <clears throat> Let's read verse 7 again. But the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself in the unintentional sins of the people. 
By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing. And we know that the first section doesn't stand for very much longer after Christ comes. Verse 9, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered and that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but only deal with food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. In other words, these are only shadows of what's coming. These are only shadows of what's to come. And they have to happen over and over and over and over and over again because they don't perfect the problem. The problem still exists. Verse 11, we start to get into the good news. The amen, truth, exciting stuff. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest, remember the high priest was the only one who could go into that room. Christ is today, not was, Christ is today the high priest. But Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Do you get that? Do you understand what's happening there? What we're talking about this earthly tent, which was a picture of what was present in heaven. The reality of heaven. But here on earth, it's physical. It's tangible. You can Google search the, 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 the most holy place, the tent of meeting. Google search that. Or you can look it up in scripture and see the details of what it was made with. What it was made from. It was an actual tent. All right? But when Christ appeared, the priest of good things that have come, then through the greater, a more perfect tent, not made with human hands, not of this creation. Jesus is establishing that with his life. He entered once for all. You'll hear that phrase again. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of, of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. Remember, the Day of Atonement happened once a year and one guy got to go in there. It had to happen once every year because he was going with the blood of others. Jesus went with his own blood to perform the sacrifice once for all time forever that it never, ever has to happen again so that there's no need for any other high priest. There's no need for me to pave the way for you to enter into the presence of God. That's really important. Really, really, really important. There's no need for any human being to pave the way for you to enter into the presence of God. It's offered to you by the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's done. We'll get to the ramifications of that here in just a second. Skip down to chapter 10. Actually, no. Let go, we're going to go to, to verse 24. In chapter 9. More about who Jesus is and what he did. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. He didn't enter into this temple. He didn't physically walk into this tent and tear the veil. He went into heaven and did it. And, And the supernatural powers tore that down because... The tent is a picture of what's present in heaven. Now, continuing on in in verse 24, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. 
Do you realize Jesus, what, what, what happens day in and day out in heaven? Jesus is being your high priest right now. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly. He didn't have to do it as the fleshly man, no God in him, high priest had to do every year on the Day of Atonement to go in there. He didn't have to do it every year on the Day of Atonement. He did it once for all. He enters into the holy place every year with blood, not his own. That's the, the old high priest. Verse 26. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared, this Jesus, he appeared once for all. There's our phrase again, once for all. At the end of the age, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Do you see what, what we just read there? Jesus put away sin. You have one enemy in this world, and his name is Satan, and his only real weapon is to lie to you, to, to deceive you, to get you to believe something either about God or about yourself that's not true. The point of priesthood, the point of this message, is to see this truth and bang it in your heads and put it on the desktop of your life, of your brain, so this file is readily accessible to you. Let's read that again. Verse 26, for he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. More about this sacrifice happens in Hebrews 10. Let's keep going. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it, it the law, rules and regulations, the things you have to do to get to God, can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year to make perfect those who draw near. The law, the Old Testament, following the law, being perfect and following the law, cannot make you perfect. Verse 2, otherwise they would have ceased to be offered. If someone could have lived a perfect life and died a perfect death, then the offering would have had been able to be ceased. But that couldn't happen until Jesus came. Since the worship, worshipers, I'm reading from verse 2 here, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin but in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sin every year this is what here's what he's getting at here what we're we're about to read is that there was a reminder of sin every year on the day of atonement so that all the people gathered and it was a very tenuous day because if the high priest didn't offer the sacrifice right or if he had sin that he had unconfessed and went into this holy place and offered those sacrifices you know what happened to him Immediate death. This is your high priest. This is, like, imagine the Catholic Church today. There's a great chance that the Pope could die today. The Catholic Church is going to be on pins and needles forever, the whole day, wondering, did he make it out? Did he make it out? That's what's going on in these people. And it's a reminder every year of the severity of sin that's still present in their life. Because his success in offering the sacrifice of sin to them 
was dependent upon what this next year was going to bring. So the fact that the Day of Atonement still happened caused them great grief and anxiety on what was going to happen. Which brings beauty to the fact that what Christ did that's finished. We no longer wrestle with that anxiety. Do you hear me? No longer wrestle with that anxiety because the high priest has accomplished it once and for all. Verse 3, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year, a reminder of it. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, because of that, when Christ came into this world, he said this, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin sacrifices, sin's offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will. This is Christ talking. Behold, I have come to do your will as it is written for me in the scroll of the book. Verse 8, when he said the above, when he said that stuff, you neither have desired or taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first order, the first covenant, the day of atonement, and all the stuff that was needed to please God and establish this second covenant, this new covenant, this new testament. Verse 10, and by that, we will have been sanctified. Greek lesson again, sanctified here, just made right, made holy, allowed to go into the presence of God. Because of what Jesus has done, you have been sanctified. Verse 10. Let's read that again because at the end our once for all phrase comes back again. And by that sac- Christ's sacrifice and his abolishment of the first order and establishment of the second, by that we will have been sanctified, made right, made holy, made perfect through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Important to note, who made you sanctified? Who made you holy? Who made you perfect? Who made you able to go into the throne room of God? Not a trick question. It's the answer to every Bible question ever. Jesus. Jesus did it. There's no need for it. I'm just going to parenthetically insert this here. We're going to talk about this more later, but I want to parenthetically insert it here. There is no need, no room, no purpose for you to clean yourself up. Say that to yourself. There's no need for me to clean myself up. Thank you, Abram. Say that to yourself. Audibly. There's no need for me to clean myself up. Thanks to the six of you who did that. I appreciate it. Let's go back. And by that, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. In a little bit, we're going to come up here and we're going to take up communion. We're going to dip it into the bowl and we're going to eat it. Maybe some of you will put some money into this offering. Maybe some of you in that moment will be standing and singing, making sacrifices to God. Maybe some of you will say, you know what? I need to go and make a relationship right. I need to go and tear the veil down in my own heart with somebody's life. Maybe those sacrifices you'll be pledging to God. None of that 
will take your sin away. What will take your sin away? Now you guys are going to be singing it. <laughs> Nothing but the... I, I promised I would never sing with one of these attached to my face. Verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Last night, it was a long day for me. I did a lot of work, like taking kids back and forth. I was a taxi service. I was cutting grass. I was cutting more grass when I didn't cut the first grass right and whatever. We'll talk about that later if you want. Um, And like cleaning the house. There's a shower at my house today and stuff happening. And, And finally, I sat down because the work was done. This is the thought here. You sit down, the work is done. Verse 13. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. We can talk about the exegesis of what that means later, but it's not talking about priesthood. Verse 14. For a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Seriously. Verse 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Your sins have been forgiven. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. In other words, Jesus keeps his promises. This is what it means to have priesthood. You have full access, complete and full access at all times for all times. Some important statements that are made. I pulled these out from the New Living Translation of statements that were made in the verses that we just read, and I want to bring them in front of us. Fire that that slide, the first one. These are statements from the New Living Translation to, to really hit us home. These are truths for us. I would write them down if I were you. He took his own blood, and with it he secured our salvation forever. This is truth of what it means, what priesthood means. He took his own blood, and with it he secured our salvation forever. The next one. He came once for all time at the end of age to remove the power of sin forever by his sacrificial death for us. Do you see the... like? Here's a problem that that we have in our culture, in our language. We use 
these big words like forever when we don't really mean forever. We use these words like totally when we don't really mean totally. We mean I'd really like to forever, but I probably will fail. We use words, these these all-encompassing words, inaccurately. Look at this word, not used inaccurately. He came once for all time, once for all time, at the end of the age, to remove, completely remove, the power of sin, how long? Until you do it again? No, forever. By a sacrificial death for us. This is what it means when, when I say you, you possess the pillar of priesthood. This is what it means. Really important for us. Next one. But our high priest offered himself to God as one sacrifice for sins, good for all time. He doesn't have to do it again. It's been done, it's finished, it's accomplished. And because of it, the veil is torn. We can now enter the presence of God once for all time, never again, needing to worry or be confused or be concerned or have anxiety of any kind or be reminded of our sin. Most of the time, the reminders of your sin, especially from a long time ago, that's coming from the one who is your enemy, whose only weapon is to lie to you, to deceive you, to think that that somehow is in play still. Let me parenthetically insert this here for a second because I think it's a good time. We raise veils all the time. The veils have been torn down and one of the the beauties I think of this church is, is intimate relationship and real with each other. But here's the deal. We are really, really good at raising veils. You sinned against me, so I'm going to put this veil between us. You are not allowed into the intimate place of my heart. A lot of times we do it with our spouses even. We raise veils. And we begin to believe things about ourselves or about the other person that may or may not be true. A lot of times we believe them not to be true. We, we push things onto them. And relationship suffers. And I think about this in my own heart. And I think about damaged relationships that are happening. And anytime I'm in the presence of somebody who I believe there's a damage to the relationship, well, I believe they've sinned me or they believe that I've sinned against them, I, I project onto them or they project onto me this awkwardness. You know what that is? That's the picture of this veil. There's sin, there's something between us that needs to be taken away. Otherwise, we can't have real intimate relationship. This happens in marriages all the time. I don't trust you. You don't trust me. I think you're only out for yourself. You're not out for me. And then we decide, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder. I'm going I'm to make sacrifices to this person I have broken relationship with. And I really, really, really hope that they accept them. And then when they don't, we get all discouraged and disappointed. One of the points of this series about pillars is to see who God is and what he's offered to us and then cause, allow that to change us. Behold who God is and allow that to change us and allow that to change our behavior. Not some desire to get God to to love us more, to love us better. 
one of my rituals every Sunday morning, about 8 o'clock or so, look through my Twitter feed, and there's seven or eight pastors that always have some sort of prayer or scripture that they tweet to other pastors. You follow that? One guy in particular, a guy named Jared Wilson, I've never met him before, he pastors a church near Boston. He tweets this this morning. Uh, pastors, lead your people this morning not to behave, but to behold. Do you understand? Here is this beautiful picture of what Jesus has done. There's a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done. Behold that. Look at the beauty of that. Allow that to change you. Lead your people not to change their behavior, but to behold the beauty of Christ. Well, behold the beauty of Christ. And then that changes who you are, how you approach God, how you approach relationships, how you approach people who wrong you in relationships, how you approach people who you have wronged in relationships. Tear the veils down. Don't raise them back up. Hit the next one. I will never again remember their sins or lawless deeds. Again, never is a big word and it's appropriate. Next one. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's people, before they had the high priest who had to go in once a year, this one only had to do it once for all times. Let us go right into the presence of God with true hearts fully trusting him. This is what I think a lot, right? Jesus has died and and he's risen again. This temple with its veil torn. I wonder what the first dude did when he walked into that room. Oh man, can I, can I really cross that? Like I see the, the, the temple torn. Can I, like, do I, can you, can you picture that? But that's us, man. The temple is, the veil is torn. You can see right into the throne room of God. You can walk in there. Next one. Without wavering. Without wavering. Let us hold tightly to the hope we say we have. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. That's really cool. I love the New Living Translation of this verse. God can be trusted to keep his promise. God can be trusted to keep his promise. I want you to flip over real quick. We don't have much time left. Flip over to Genesis chapter 3. And see what happens when we believe a lie. Again, you have one enemy. His name is Satan. And his only real weapon is to deceive you. To get you to believe something that's not true of yourself or to get you to believe something that's not true of God. It's the only weapons he has. Now the serpent was more crafty. Reading Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of the tree of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, the truth. We may, be, we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the garden of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. 
But the serpent, knowing he was powerless to God, lied to the woman. You will not surely die, for God knows. So he's telling her something that's not true about herself. And then in verse 5, he's going to tell her something that's not true about God. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the, the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was there with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They believed a lie about themselves, and they believed a lie about God. And what was their response? Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. What did they do? They hid. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Here's the simple truth, the heart of of all of this, the, the point of priesthood. You have an enemy. He's very real. Whether you believe it or not, whether you recognize it or not, you have an enemy. He's very real. And his one weapon is to deceive you. The course of history changed by a simple lie. And the point of this message is to Lower the volume of the deceiver and raise the volume of the Savior. You have complete and full access to God. Once, for all time, forever. Put it on your desktop. Remind yourself of it always. Tear veils in your personal relationships. Don't raise them. Let's pray and respond to our God. Jesus, I thank you for the authority to make this prayer. That I can come before you and make a sacrifice. That I can come before you and worship and pray and take communion and sing songs and give because I have beheld your truth, your sacrifice, your perfect sacrifice. You are God. And the sin and the deceit and the laziness and the lust and the wretchedness that's in my heart has been paid for. And with boldness I enter into your throne, unwavering, God, guide us now to to boldly come into your presence and sit at your feet.
and make our sacrifices to you. Our prayers, our lives, our money, our voices, our willingness to go to people and tear veils down. We have beheld you, Father. Now give us the opportunity, the ability, the courage to behave. We thank you. In Christ's perfect name, amen.